I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. morning. You're listening to Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine, and I have a very special guest standing by, Dr. Pam Popper. She is an internationally recognized expert in nutrition, medicine, and health, and the executive director of the Wellness Forum, and she's joining me this morning. I actually learned about uh, Dr. Popper. I watched this film over the weekend, Forks Over Knives, and uh, unbelievable. I really, really recommend this film. Uh, as Roger Ebert says on the cover of the film, a film that can save your life. It's really all about looking at the way what we eat in America. It's examining the profound claim that most, if not all, of the degenerative diseases that afflict us can be controlled or even reversed by rejecting animal-based and processed foods. So it's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show Dr. Pam Popper. Hi, Dr. Popper. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. This film, Forks Over Knives, was unbelievable. I mean, I haven't seen very many films that deal with this topic. Uh, how did you get involved with this film? Well, um, I guess somewhat by accident, uh, the producers were attending a conference to see my colleague, Colin Campbell, who, as you know, was the star of the film, yes. speak. and it just so happened that I was speaking at that same conference, and they kind of liked me, so they asked <laughs> him about me, and that's, that's great. how I got to be part of the film, and I had the pleasure of not only being in the film, but working on... Um, doing all the research and archiving the research that backs up the claims that we made in the film. It was very powerful to see there was one uh, person in particular who basically his whole life revolved around different medicines and he had high cholesterol and these two doctors talked about how, you know what, we're going to change all that, you're going to get rid of all that stuff and adopt this plant-based diet. Right, and what happened with him and the others in the in the film is a fairly predictable outcome. Um, you change your diet, and within a very short period of time, as you saw in the film, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, he, the, the guy that you're talking about just stopped taking all the drugs and, and did the diet and restored his health. So within a very short period of time, the body begins to heal itself, and um, you end up becoming a former diabetic or a former hypertension patient or a former cardiovascular patient. It's really kind 
kind of cool to watch. It is. It was very cool. I want to back up a second. Could you tell me how, you know, you got involved with this whole topic, this whole career? That also was accidental, actually. I, I did not grow up thinking I wanted to be in the healthcare field. And frankly, I started uh, my adult life not paying very much attention to what I ate. And um, I always tell people I thought the two principal food groups were sugar and caffeine. <laughs> I lived on about three pots of coffee a day and oh a pound gosh. of Lorna Dune shortbread cookies. And uh, it was a big dairy cheese eater, and I never really thought about diet and health. I, I um, was pretty good at starving myself thin from time to time, but uh, that was about the only effort I put forth. And then um, about 20 years ago, I developed an interest in nutrition based on an article that I saw in a magazine. And of course, 20 years ago, you didn't see a lot of this stuff. It was sort of surprising to me, and right. I knew my diet wasn't so great. So long story short, when I mentioned to a friend that I had developed this, well, I guess you could call it a passing interest in nutrition, and she loaned me a copy of one of the first books written by John McDougall, who was also in the film. And I remember reading that book all night, and here is a doctor who was curing disease with diet. I was just flabbergasted by the whole idea. I think most people who have diabetes would like to know that they don't have to have it anymore. And sure. and so that's how this whole interest started. And it, uh, I changed my diet, my family's diet, and then uh, over time went back to school, and here we are today. Were people around you, family and friends, saying, you know, is she out of her mind giving up all this stuff? I mean, did you do complete, you know, reversal? Well, there are several things. First of all, back then, 20 years ago, nobody was doing this stuff. And so, yeah, people did think I was crazy. And I went about it in absolutely the wrong way. There was nobody to show me the right way to do it. And what I mean by that is I went home and cleaned out all the bad food in the house. And um, my uh, then-husband's children were four and eight years old. And (laughs) and I remember the youngest one saying, you know, there were like three boxes of food left in the house. What are we going to eat now? And I said, I don't know. I haven't gotten that far yet. So. Don't throw out my Twinkies. Ah. <laughs> That's really not the best way to start this out. So, yeah, people did think I was crazy. And, and I guess at the time, I've always been a real headstrong person. I didn't really care so much about that. But I do have to say it was harder to do back then than it is now. And people know about it now. So it's a much easier transition, I think, these days. You know, and when you're raised on certain things, they, they showed footage in this film, Forks Over Knives. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Pam Popper. Uh People that were raised on these convenience foods, we saw, you know, the TV dinners and the, and fast food was becoming huge, you know, late 70s and or actually even before that. But we were raised on these quick and easy things. They were so unhealthy that we got so much used to. Yeah, although there were some mitigating factors. I'm almost 58 years old, and, and while we were raised on um, you know eating animal foods often and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing, we weren't eating out all the time. And um, and and there were some there was some uh, there were some constraining factors. Like I remember coming home from school, and my mother would actually make me something to eat. You know, you didn't hang at the refrigerator and just eat as much as you want and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff like we do today. But but um, I did grow up certainly not understanding what a healthy diet. Was is all about and and kind of um, you know you've heard this everything in moderation is okay yes. I guess the big thing in my mind is as long as I didn't get really overweight then I must be doing something right whatever I was eating you know so yes. you do have to undo an awful lot of cultural tradition and training when you embark on a dietary plan like the one in the movie right I love the there was a graphic about how if you fill up with the wrong foods you're actually your stomach is not registering that you're full but if you have a plant-based 
whole food diet, you're full faster and longer? My well, yeah, it, it's, it's really, we have uh, two mechanisms for detecting if we've had enough food to eat. And one is based on the bi- fiber content of the food. So mm-hmm. we have stretch receptors in the stomach that say that the bulk of what we've eaten is okay. And so um, the graphic that you're referring to is, gosh, you try to eat enough chicken and cheese to fill your stomach one time, it tastes like 4,000 calories because there's no fiber in that food. Whereas you can fill your stomach with 400 calories worth of beans and rice and and salad. And so one of the wonderful things that people experience when they convert to this type of a diet is that most people, by the time they're my age, they've been spending a lot of time calorie counting and trying to do portion control and eating like birds and trying to live with being (laughs) hungry. And none of that's any fun. And so um, you can do what I call eating with careless abandon. And Mm -hmm. they love it. I mean, let's face it, people love to eat and restricting eating is not a fun way to live. None of us enjoy that. Right. I love the graphic in the movie of the shark. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk yeah, about if you that? you keep eating that calorie-dense food, it's going to put weight on you. I know. You know, when you think about it, a tablespoon of oil has 130 calories and 14 grams of fat. It's pure liquid fat. How much of that kind of stuff can you eat without putting weight on? Not very much. Is it okay to have olive oil and flax oil? Because I'm hearing lately that, you know what, you don't even need that stuff. Just go with the real thing like an avocado. Yeah, you want to eat the food and even the high-fat plant, high plant foods you want to minimize. Here's the issue with, with fat. It, you know, there's, a, there's a myth that goes around that if you're eating a better fat, you can eat more fat. And I'll tell you, all fat over about 15% of calories becomes problem fat. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the reason is that fat constricts blood flow. We have the technology now to take apart atherosclerotic plaques, and we know they're made of mono and polyunsaturated fat just as much as saturated fat. Um, it's weight-promoting. Again, back to the issue of how many tablespoons of of pure liquid fat can you consume in a day before you start putting on the pounds. So you really don't need oil, and and we advise people here, just get it out of your diet. You're not going to miss it. Mm-hmm. And then with these higher-fat plant foods, let's face it, they're yummy. I love cashews and avocados, too. But, you know, I could be a 300-pound plant eater if I let myself eat as much of that stuff as I want. So right. my rule that I teach our folks here is, you know, if, you're eat, if a dish or a recipe calls for uh, some nuts or some avocado or olives or something of that nature, then that's great. But, but you don't go out of your way to eat these things because they are real calorie-dense and it's easy to put on weight. I mean, every little cashew has 20 calories. How many of those can you you eat in the day before having a problem. That's so true. And I learned something very fascinating in the film, um, endothelial cells. I didn't yeah. know what those were. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what, what those are and how they're Well, they're damaged? all over the body. I mean, they line our, our GI tract and the, and the uh, nasal passages and that sort of thing. But as the movie uh, talked about endothelial cells, they line the blood vessels, um, and uh, they, they perform several valuable functions, one of which is they produce something called nitric oxide, which is a vasodilator, and that keeps those blood vessels open and the blood flowing freely. So in a healthy person, that endothelial tissue that lines the miles of blood vessels in your body is smooth. It's kind of like Teflon, and the blood just flows on through. Mm -hmm. And then we eat these high-fat diets, and and, uh, that 
uh, endothelial tissue becomes sort of like Velcro, and the fat and cholesterol start sticking to the side. Mm. I'm really simplifying the bio- biochemistry okay. here. <laughs> Keeps those endothelial cells from producing nitric oxide, and over time you end up with uh, constricted vessels and plaque, and that's the beginning, can be the beginning of hypertension as your body tries to force blood through these narrowed vessels. And um, by the way, one of those plaques ruptures, and that causes the heart attack that sometimes can kill you. Mm-hmm. Well, in my family, my dad has heart disease, and uh, so I've lived it. And, and I remember, you know, seeing him, you know, after his heart operation, and wow, I mean, that's an unbelievable procedure. I think it was Dr. Campbell was talking about it, or maybe it was... Um, Dr. Esselstyn. Esselstyn was talking about it. Yeah. And he said, you know, this is really preventative. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and, and I love Dr. Esselstyn's line when people talk about this diet being extreme and then he talks about bypass surgery and said, no, some people might call that extreme. It, <laughs> and it I sure think he's is. right. You know, that one of the, one of the things that I think everybody's afraid of is how hard this is going to be or, and, and I don't think it is, but, but I always tell people difficulty is a subjective thing because I don't know about you, but I think bypass surgery and dying are very difficult. Yes. I think that even <laughs> Eating healthy food and running are not anywhere near as difficult as those things. So I guess we all evaluate difficulty differently. And, you know, you actually have, for me, I have more energy now that I've given up a lot of these bad habits. Yeah, you don't miss the bad habits. You know, the the thing of it is, this is what I tell people who are afraid of starting this diet. The the first thing is it is going to be easier than you think. It's going to be less expensive than you think, and the food's going to taste better than you think. And the most important thing is you're going to adjust to it. All creatures on the planet, including humans, have the ability to change their tastes. It's a process we call neuroadaptation, which means that we like the things we eat. If we change the things that we eat and we like those or we eat those for a while, we start to like them too. And when you think about it, this is how creatures on the planet have survived um, when we've sometimes had to move from one place to the other. You know, if you and I are standing over here and it gets flooded, we have to go live over there and the food's different, we better learn to like it or we're going to die of starvation, right? That's the way things used to be. So even fruit flies, I think it's very interesting. I remember reading a study in a medical journal not so long ago that they even have evaluated within a few hours fruit flies change their taste for food. So there's nothing to worry about. People will like these foods if they adapt to it, and they'll love the benefits. You're going to look better. You're going to feel better. You're going to drop some weight. If you have one of these common conditions like type 2 diabetes or high cholesterol that we treat people for in this country, you're probably going to be able to eat your way out of it. I loved the um, when they went out and on the street and they interviewed people and they, you know, why is it so important to eat meat? Well, protein. Protein. <laughs> and I had that understanding too and I've had people say to me how can you become a vegetarian you need protein you better have enough and then I learned that you can get your protein in fruits and vegetables most vegetables right I didn't know that well and protein needs are quite a bit lower than people have been led to believe I mean the World Health Organization determined years ago that protein needs were actually about two and a half percent of calories and it is so easy to meet that you might remember Dr. Campbell saying in the film if you take the plant foods that are the lowest on the protein scale, like rice and potatoes, they mm-hmm. have 8 9% protein. So you cannot mathematically, it's mathematically impossible to structure a diet that is calorically adequate that is not adequate in protein. So this whole issue of, oh, my gosh, where are you going to get your protein and mm-hmm. you won't get enough protein, that's, that's really absolutely not true. My daughter has decided to become a vegetarian. She said maybe for a week. She'd been, a, um, excuse me, a vegan for about a week. She's been a vegetarian for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And she's been eating more uh, beans, uh, brown rice. But we always make sure she has something like beans or uh, broccoli or whatever. But And she feels great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kids, kids like it, too. Uh, first of all, you can appeal to kids based on the things that are important to them. Let's face it, a 14-year-old isn't so worried about getting cancer or heart disease, at least yes. most of them, thankfully. But um, kids are interested in academic performance. They're interested in athletic performance. They want to look good. They want their skin to be clear, you know, that kind of thing. So um, kids can get excited about this, too, and they're sometimes easier to convince than the parents. I've had many, many kids in my office over the years who were pretty excited about, you know, taking off a few pounds and being better at soccer as a result of eating better. And I actually uh, did something over the weekend. We had found a a website with some great vegan recipes, my 11-year-old did, and I was home with my 14-year-old, and she said, you know, I don't think I'm going to like that uh, coconut curry lentil soup. You can make it, but I don't think so. And as soon as I started chopping the fresh ginger, the onions, and put the curry in and everything else, she said, what is that smell? Mm -hmm. What is that? And she said, can I help you make it? Yeah, yeah. They, they they adapt to it pretty well too, mm-hmm. and and sometimes faster. And you can do a lot of things with kids like health by deception. You know, if they don't like <laughs> beans, puree up the beans and put it in the soup, and they'll never know that they're eating it. Oh, that's so a good idea. you can do a lot of things to incorporate foods into a diet, so a kid won't even notice that you're doing it. Yes, yes. Tell me, um, let's shift gears now about what you do where you are. You have a, a wellness forum, and well, the wellness forum is my company, and basically what we provide is education about the relationship between diet and health. And um, closely related to that, and this is what my most recent book is all about, uh, the importance of becoming an informed medical consumer, which is just as important as the diet. You you can eat a plant-perfect diet, as some people might call it, and if you interact with doctors and you don't know what you're doing, you can get hurt. And a good example is, and I've been talking about this for years, but a recent study that was huge and long and met all of the gold standards for research confirms that uh-huh. with mammography, for example, more women are hurt than helped by it. So if you eat a perfect diet and then you just go to the doctor's office and do what you're told, you're likely to end up with serious health issues too. But anyway, that's the type of education that we provide here, and we do it for individuals who show up and want to improve their health. We work at employer sites where employers want to lower or have to lower health insurance costs, and that's about all of them these days mm-hmm. because we can certainly do that for them. We own a school. We train healthcare professionals here. Uh, we own a food company. We train food service professionals, and we also ship food all over the world. We have the best plant-based chef housed in our building here. Wait, excuse and, me, back up a second. You own a food company? Yes, yes, Wellness Forum Foods. Oh. And um, the guy that is our partner in that business and, and the executive chef wrote the Forks Over Knives cookbook, which is on the New York Times list oh, for a very long time. Shrove. Yeah, so we do a lot of things related to getting the message out about how to become a healthy person by doing the things that you saw talked about in the film and then also how to become a savvy health consumer, all designed to help people enjoy optimal health, employers to cut costs. And our goal is really to sort of upend this ridiculous horrible system of medicine we have in this country and really uh, do something about the cost. We could get rid of about 70% of what we're spending and improve everybody's quality of life a whole lot if we pay attention to this stuff. If you have somebody come to you and say, you know what, I was told I have high cholesterol, I have to go on this medicine, what's an alternative? 
eat your way out of eat it. I mean, the cholesterol will drop within a matter of weeks for probably better than 95% of the population. You do have a handful of people who've been dealt the poor genetic hand and need to take medication, but the vast majority of people can eat their way out of it. One thing that I do to help people understand the importance of taking this message seriously is help them understand how worthless a lot of the drugs and procedures that are commonly recommended to people really are. For example, and, and we take this right from the drug company's website, um, Crestor, which is a, a, a fairly powerful drug used to lower cholesterol, actually lowers your risk of a major event by 1.2%. That's not very much. No. And then you read the 23 pages of side effects that go with it, and you could pretty oh. easily determine that this is not a drug that you want to take. So um, it's surprising how motivated people can become to do the right things when they see how useless a lot of the stuff that they're being told to do by their very learned healthcare professionals really really aren't uh, the stuff really doesn't do what it's purported to do. It's very scary to think okay someone goes on this drug and then they have to take another drug to combat the side effects of drug A mm-hmm. and on and on and on. Right that's why most of our elderly people are taking multiple drugs because they never dealt with the issue that happened way back in the beginning it was never dealt with properly. Yes I remember my grandmother had a whole bunch of things she would take. So it's, uh, no, it's not a good thing. Tell me um, some of your, um, I don't know if you can share a few case studies of people that have changed, uh, gone from, you know, a, a terrible situation as far as eating. I don't know if it's a younger well, person. We have, we have thousands of them here, and I feature stories in every one of my books. Not mm-hmm. that stories are a substitute for science. We include a lot of that, too, but stories are inspirational. And so I'll talk about the ones that are in the book because they've obviously given us permission to do that. Yes. Um, we have uh, my, my, what I am best at, oh, I think I'm good at a lot of things, but I help a lot of people with inflammatory bowel conditions here. Uh, people who have Crohn's or colitis, um, which are considered incurable conditions. And so, uh, Jill Collette, her story is in the book Food Over Medicine, uh, had ulcerative colitis for 21 years when she came here, had been taking medications, and, and the disease had progressed to the place where she was actually starting to lose her eyesight, which oh. caused a great deal of consternation. So we used um, our protocol, which includes a plant-based diet, as, as part of it, and within just a matter of weeks, she was completely asymptomatic and now has been three three-plus years, four years now, I guess, um, uh, without any um, signs that she has the disease. It's been completely backed into remission, and we have dozens and dozens of people like that. Um, we have uh, many people who are former diabetics, ate their way out of diabetes. Uh, one, um, one that's a really fabulous story was in my book, um, uh, Solving America's Healthcare Crisis. Uh, this is a, a friend that uh, has become a dear friend of mine up at um, in Port Clinton, where I have a a summer place, and she owns a cafe that uh, everybody goes to, and so she developed chronic lymphocytic leukemia. Her name is Kay Podelsky. And, uh, Excuse me, what, did, what is of that? Course. That's a scary diagnosis, And uh, but one of the things I told her about it is it's kind of a slow-growing disease, and you might be able to eat your way out of it. So she immediately, she read the China study, she took our Wellness 101 class, uh, really took this seriously, adopted an exclusively plant-based diet, ate her way out of it, has been cancer-free now for a good number of years. And uh, by the way, one of the bigger screenings of Forks Over Knives that we ever did was in Port Clinton. I think we have more people than they had in Chicago. And uh, and this little tiny town up on Lake Erie, and one of the reasons was because everybody in this little town knew about what happened to this woman. So Mm. um, that's a pretty amazing story when you think about it. 
excuse me one second. What was that type of uh, le- leukemia you mentioned? Chronic lymphocytic leukemia. What is DLL. that? What is that? Well, it's a form of leukemia. There, okay. there are different forms of leukemia. When people think of leukemia, it's a blood-borne uh, cancer. Yes. But then there are many, many different types, just like you can have different types of breast cancer. Mm-hmm. That, that just happens to be one form of leukemia. And, um, and she's not the only person we have here who has eaten their way out of that particular type of leukemia. And then one last one I'll share with you that's remarkable, and her story is also in one of my books, is Christine Smothers, who was on medications for multiple sclerosis when she came here. And uh, she ended up going off the medications and has been MS-free and medication-free <gasps> now for, gosh, seven or eight years. And the remarkable thing about Christine is that... Um, there are a couple of things about MS patients. One is they're intolerant of the heat, and the second thing is they don't have a lot of endurance. Well, when Christine got well, one of the things that she decided to do was to um, organize a bicycle trip to Montreal from Columbus, Ohio, and if you check, oh check on the map, it's God. a pretty big distance. <laughs> and she did this for the purpose of raising money for Dr. McDougall's multiple sclerosis research. So I think that we could say endurance is not an issue for She rode her bicycle up and back. And then the other thing, this heat tolerance thing, we have a hot yoga studio here. It's 105 degrees with 40% humidity, and she takes classes in that hot room. So I think she doesn't have much of an issue (laughs) with the heat either. So we've we've, uh, pronounced her a former multiple sclerosis patient since her dramatic recovery. I've never heard of anything like that. You know, I've known people with MS, and you just don't hear of any kind of cure. Right. Well, uh, Dr. Roy Swank documented several thousand cases of arrested progression or reversal of MS. Um, for, and he tracked his original patient group for 34 years, and he became friendly with Dr. McDougall. He finally died at the age of 99 a couple years ago, but he got friendly with Dr. McDougall, who took his work and tweaked the diet a little bit more and started treating patients with it, and that's what I recommend to people here. And um, it's, uh, it's astounding how much you you can help an MS patient um, at, at any stage. You're not going to see complete reversal for people that have um, have had significant degeneration, but boy, you can keep it from progressing in many, many instances. Incredible. Uh, we have to wrap up soon. Could you give out your website and your book and where people can sure. contact you? It's uh, wellnessforum.com. I'll give out my email address. Please. I answer emails personally. My email address is pampopper at msn.com. And my most recent book is Food Over Medicine. You can buy it in any bookseller, and you can also buy it at Amazon.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for calling into the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And maybe you'll come back on and we'll talk about your book. Would love to do that. All Please right. invite me. I would love it. Okay. Alrighty. Have a great day. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out. Uh, that was Dr. Pam Popper. If you've missed any part of the show, I'll have it up in my blog around 11 o'clock this morning. And the show blog is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more Get the Funk Out. You are listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine.